Hi, my name's Paul Malin. Welcome to the Life and Death of a Tax Investigation. Throughout this series of podcasts, we will consider the beginning, the middle and the end of a tax investigation. During the Life and Death of a Tax Investigation, we'll cover topics such as answering the initial challenge by HMRC, how to work out penalties, and then how to make a disclosure to HMRC. You can contact me for further clarification either on 07979 313 010 or my email address paul at pmc.tax. Thank you for listening. Hello, welcome to another episode in the life and death of a tax investigation. This time I want to talk about fighting your client's corner. Some might say that, to me, paying too much tax is against my religion. It's only fair you pay the right amount of tax, but you don't have to pay too much tax. Fighting your client's corner sounds a bit combative, that you're going to be literally having a boxing match with HMRC, perhaps. There's only been one occasion where that a taxpayer almost came to blows in my presence with an inspector of taxes. It's more a question of how do you defend what's been done? Well, I categorise all the work that I do into three different levels. The black, the white, the grey. If it's black, it's bad. You can't defend it. Indefensible. Let's just pay up. It's a civil matter and go away. If it's white, that means, well, it is defensible. It's a, just a question of making people understand what happened, why it happened, and that the ta- correct amount of tax was paid. And then there's that big lump of grey in the middle. It's neither white, it's not black either. And that needs a bit more research sometimes, a bit more explaining. What we don't want to do is to waste our own time in defending something that is, at the end of the day, indefensible because it will cloud the picture for all the other matters. If there was any doubt in HMRC's mind that something was, for example, allowable for tax or not, if you've been too argumentative from the outset, then HMRC are only human. They might dig their heels in as much as I'm digging my heels in. You'll not get the best outcome for the client. So I always try and make sure I pick my battles with HMRC. Only defend what I can, and if there's an argument to have, then argue those points. HMRC have got a lot of power on their side, not just the legislation, but they've also got software such as Connect. Now this software is very clever. It's not accessible to me as part of the general public. It's only accessible by HMRC. And what it can do is to go to, for example, company's house and put a a person's name in and very quickly find out all the directorships that that person may have. Well, that's something I can do, you can do, and it's free. But what I can't do, but this software called Connect can do, is to put the same name in and find out all the shareholdings of all the companies in the UK. All I can do is to look at each company and look at the share register 
to see if my client's name is on it. You can't do it the other way around. So that is quite a powerful weapon on HMRC's side. They use it for things like DVLA to find all the vehicles. They use it on HM Land Registry to find out who owns what property where. So when you are having conversations with HMRC, you've got to be wary that you don't exactly know what information they already have. And what you don't want to do is to fight a losing battle. So the approach that I use is to fight my client's corner by understanding what it is that HMRC have done and what they're going to do next. Because like me, you can't do everything all in one go. So as much as when we discuss with HMRC the scoping of what the report may cover, which we covered in the last episode of this podcast, we also have to do what is HMRC going to do next. To get the best outcome for my clients, you need to be almost one step ahead of HMRC. Yes, there's an element of doing too much work because I want to understand where HMRC can go next so that I can then prepare and do the research in advance to head them off at the corral, shall we say. There may be situations that are particularly sensitive for the taxpayer. It may involve family members or other companies or contracts that the business may have with other companies, etc. It's a good idea to understand what those sensitivities are because it may be they don't need to be discussed and in public. and Therefore, it's my job to guide HMRC away from such sensitive areas if they have no relevance in determining the correct past tax compliance of my client. So always try and get one step ahead. When you've done the initial outline disclosure to HMRC, that is just giving HMRC the highlights, not giving the detail. You might give some numbers as you then know them, but you're not giving the final numbers. They may change. Because over a period of time that the report is being written, I also make sure that I have regular meetings, not just with the taxpayer, but with HMRC. Because if you make HMRC get involved with the report, not in exactly what it says, but to make sure that they are happy that we are going to cover this, we're not going to cover that, for whatever the reasons are, then HMRC can't turn around at the end when the report's submitted and saying, but Mr. Malin, you haven't said anything about X, Y or Z. Well, we had meetings about that and it was decided that you didn't want to know about X, Y and Z. And they just simply forget. So again, to record all this, once you've had these meetings, it is always a good good idea to put these decisions in an email or letter, whatever it may be, to make sure that there are no surprises when the report goes in. So there's been a period of months between HMRC perhaps having their first meeting with the taxpayer and yourself, and then the report going in. And like most people, you forget sometimes what the case is fully about, because you remember the highlights, you don't remember all the specific details. Sometimes HMRC can get 
overzealous. They can sometimes see that a taxpayer may have friends in high places. They may be part of members of parliament or titled people or whatever. They may even be involved in car racing or anything like that. And they, the inspector can get carried away in wanting to know more and more about car racing than is necessary because the cost of doing car racing has to be funded, yes, but if the question from HMRC was originally, well, how is it funded? And you've been able to satisfy that by having a look at all the bank statements, any other information that's necessary, then it doesn't matter what the individual races were, other than for a personal interest perspective. But sometimes I've had meetings where HMRC are wanting to ask more and more questions about things that are totally irrelevant. When you have a meeting, you need to have an agenda and you need to stick to that agenda. And there are many times in a meeting that I stopped the meeting and asked to go into a separate room to have conversations in private with my clients. That is to make sure that my client's happy that we dig our heels in over matter X, matter Y, matter Z. And that if HMRC keep asking questions, then we make it clear to them that we're not happy with this line of questioning and we want to take it further and higher up the chain within HMRC. It has never been necessary for me to report somebody from HMRC to their boss, but it has been quite regular that you have to remind HMRC, this is what we're here for. These are the questions you've asked. The questions you've asked are relevant and these are the answers. If the next question isn't relevant, then we don't answer it and we move on. So fighting at the taxpayer's corner can come in all shapes and sizes. The groundwork is made right at the beginning. When the taxpayer comes in to see me, wanting to know, well, how do I address this? I've got to, I've got to make a disclosure. That is when I'm starting to think at that stage about tactics. I may not have all the tactics from day one, but I've got them thinking and we stick to them. And at this sort of part of the investigation, where you have to fight your client's corner, we keep to the original tactics. You should never be so rigid that you can't bend and accommodate whatever may now become relevant for everybody relevant in the room. But what you need to do is to make sure that those tactics will still get to the destination we want. Most of the time, that's measured in money. So because the matters I get regularly asked about are civil matters, as opposed to criminal, then there's the tax to pay, there's the interest on the late payment of that tax, and then there's the financial penalty, which is the further percentage of the tax again, as a penalty. My tactics are all driven to make that bill as low as possible. As I said earlier, it's against my religion to pay too much tax on behalf of a client. So by standing your ground, all you're doing is keeping to the original tactics that hopefully the client has bought into, but it may take weeks and months before part of it comes to the fore such that the taxpayer 
suddenly understands, oh, that's why you've asked all those questions. Now I understand, now I see. Because at the end of the day, you might say it's almost like an, uh, a three-dimensional three game of chess. That all the pieces have to keep moving, but not all necessarily in the same direction. Sometimes you have to give way in order to protect the client's position. So hopefully that enlightens some people. If anybody wants to contact me, my telephone number is 07979 313010. My email is paul at pmc.tax. Thank you. If you've got any questions you want to ask me, my telephone number is 07979 313010 or contact me by email at paul at pmc.tax. Thank you for listening.